everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I'm your host, the Amateur Gourmet, Adam Roberts. And this week we are talking about one of my all-time favorite subjects, collecting cookbooks. If you've ever been to my apartment, and I assume you haven't, if you have, maybe I know you. If I don't know you, why were you in my apartment? Um, You'll notice that there are cookbooks everywhere. To the chagrin of my husband, Craig, I have cookbooks stacked up in the kitchen. I have cookbooks stacked up in the back room. I have cookbooks in the bedroom. I have cookbooks on my nightstand. I can't stop buying them. In fact, just yesterday I bought another one. I am addicted to buying cookbooks. And the only person who's giving me a run for my money that I know is my guest today, who is the founder of one of the most influential uh, Substack newsletters out there. Her name is Paula Forbes, and her Substack is called Stained Page News, and it is the premier destination for anyone who wants to know about what's going on in the cookbook industry, and it's an absolute mandatory subscription if you love cookbooks. So I'm so excited to have her here, and before we get to our talk about cookbooks, collecting cookbooks, I just want to let you know I have my new YouTube video up this week, and this week I teach you how to make ribolita, which is a soup that is perfect for cold weather, warm weather, mild weather. It is basically cabbage, kale, vegetables, celery, onion, carrots, garlic, Parmesan rind, chili flakes, chicken stock. Um, And it sounds kind of healthy, schmelty. I've never said that before, but it just kind of came out. Um, But it's actually really delicious and it's just nourishing. If you've had a long weekend of drinking too much or partying, this is the soup you're going to want to make. So check out my YouTube channel, The Amateur Gourmet Show on YouTube. Just go on YouTube, type in The Amateur Gourmet Show. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get alerts when I post new videos. All right. Well, without further ado, here's my talk with Paula Forbes. All right, Paula, welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about cookbooks. I'm very excited to talk to you about cookbooks also. Yeah, I mean, so you are, you're like the real deal because you have a Substack devoted to cookbooks. And maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about it and how long you've been doing it for. Yeah, so I have been writing, uh, well, I've been writing about cookbooks since 2008, but um, I've had a newsletter about cookbooks for about four years now. And it's been on Substack for two years. And it's called Stained Page News, right? Yes, that's correct. I want to give it a plug so people can go find it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please come read Stained Page News. And what do I cover? I cover uh, cookbook news. So like new book deals, what's coming out, trends, if like new imprints launch, that kind of thing. And then just write and also um, have freelancers write just really in-depth nerdy cookbook stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're. It's funny because I sold a cookbook earlier. I don't remember when it was. Maybe a year ago about Broadway, and it was on your thing. And my agent wrote me. She goes, "She's like, you made Stain Page News." And I was like, "I know Paula. I've known her for a long time." But and that's like a big deal. People in the industry really read it and they take it seriously. So, is that? Do you get sent lots of free cookbooks? I do. You know, it's funny that. Um, people aren't doing that as much as they used to. It used to be that I would get like everything, everything, everything. And um, I think now with the like printing problems because of the pandemic and shipping problems and stuff, it's a lot more PDFs. But yeah, I get to see everything. 
<laughs> I bet that's a relief to you because I, when I used to be like a like a big player in the food blogging space, um, I used to get sent so many cookbooks, and it was such a waste because I, I would feel terrible. I would get like stacks and stacks of books that were nice, but not ones that I was really going to use, and I would give them away and stuff. But I always felt guilty, so I think it's probably nicer to get the PDF ultimately, and probably better for the environment. Too. Yeah, it's it can be hard trying to find places. I have a friend who teaches high school culinary arts, and so I give him a lot of my. Uh, uh, cookbooks but yeah like I can't give him cocktail books and stuff it's for high schoolers so <laughs> right right that's funny I mean I guess like high school kids can learn how to make cocktails but they can't drink them sure. right? that's a good skill to have for, for going into business um well I'm curious so before we get into like your collection which this is what this conversation is really about can you talk a little bit about like the books that are out right now and like what trends you're noticing and what you're excited about and what, what you know I, I, I'm sure you get asked this all the time but it feels like I, I'd be remiss not to ask that question Sure. Um, I let's see. So we're on the cusp of like the spring cookbook season, which is the second biggest season. Most books come out in the fall. Second most come out in the spring. And then summer is kind of like a dead time um, or not dead. That's unfair to people whose books come out in the summer. But um, <laughs> fewer, fewer. Yeah. Um, what is coming out right now? I think spring tends to be a lot of grilling barbecue, a lot of like ice cream. Yeah, I just had a barbecue uh, author on my podcast last week. I had Kevin Bledsoe from Bledsoe's Barbecue, whose book just came out that he co-wrote with Noah Gluten, and it's summer, so, or it's for summer, so that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, awesome, totally. Um, yeah. yeah, I know that book. That's a great book. Yeah, so it's a lot of stuff like that, just like more laid-back books in the, in the spring, and like you tend to get more um, vegetable and, you know, produce stuff. Um, so it's fun. I like spring books. My first cookbook came out in the springtime. So it's like my favorite season in a lot of ways. Well, I know you did the Austin cookbook. Was that, the, was that your first cookbook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first book. And what was the next book? Uh, let's see. Well, I um, helped out with a Texas monthly cookbook that's coming out this fall in November. Okay. Um, so that's really exciting. I did a bunch of recipe testing for that book. And then uh, I have a secret project that I can't tell you about, but oh. it's very exciting. Are <laughs> you ghostwriting a Gwyneth Paltrow cookbook? <laughs> no, I wish. That's where the big bucks are, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny because Craig, my partner or husband, got... Um, because he's a filmmaker, somehow got invited to Gwyneth Paltrow's house for dinner uh, like one night. And I made him bring my cookbook to her because I know she cooks. So I gave him and, and so he's like, all right. And he like gave it to her and she said, thank you. That is so very kind. Oh. And I'm sure she threw, threw it away right away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So let's get into cookbooks. Let's talk about collecting cookbooks. Let's talk about our love for cookbooks because I personally am addicted. I mean, I know you're not supposed to use the word addicted anymore because it's cavalier towards actual drug abuse, but I truly think I am addicted to buying cookbooks. Like I can't stop myself. I buy them all the time. I literally just bought the Korean American by Eric mm. Kim on, on an impulse buy. I, I went to Joanne Chang's restaurant in Boston and then I came back. I immediately bought the Myers and Chang cookbook. I bought the flower cookbook. I mean, I can't stop myself and that's really a problem, but I want to know for you, when did your love for cookbooks begin? Sure. Um, I mean, I've had cookbooks since I was a little kid, honestly. Like we just, I just ran a freelancer, Mara Eakin wrote a story about kids cookbooks for a newsletter last week and like I was thinking about it and I since I was I don't know fourth fifth grade I was into cookbooks I had like the little house cookbook I had American Girls cookbook do you remember those klutz books that were like 
It's like this 80s series of like kids how to do stuff books. Uh-huh. It sounds familiar. Sure. And they had a kid's cookbook that had um like the little measuring spoons attached to the spiral binding. Oh, funny. <laughs> I, I, Craig has a copy of the Betty Crocker kids cookbook on, on my shelf like prominently displayed because it kind of has a cool design to it. But I never had any of that. You know, when I was a kid. I mean, this speaks to like my closetedness or like the gender, you know, norms that I grew up around in my Jewish family. But all I wanted more than anything was an easy bake oven Mm. and I never got it and I never got it for Hanukkah. So, I mean, I never had a cookbook. But wait, for you, where where did you grow up? I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. So, yeah. So, so I, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. I was interested in cooking from like a pretty young age. My parents kind of let me within reason, try things in the kitchen. Um, and I re- did they cook too? Were they really into cooking? Yes. Um, my mom is a very good cook and my dad has like specific things he makes. My dad makes, uh, well, when I was growing up, I don't know what his, he considers his specialties now are like fermented things. He's very into making sour oh, wow. and stuff. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid, he would make minestrone soup and chocolate chip cookies were like his... Mm things yeah and are his cookies still your favorite cookies like if if he, if he makes it for you does it still taste like nostalgic or do you have you moved on from them cookie wise so I will credit him with giving me a deep love of chocolate chip cookies but I am like obsessed with chocolate chip cookies so so I'm like a connoisseur like I'm seeking them out all the time are you the David Lee New York Times like 36 hours in the fridge chocolate chip cookie person or are you a Dory Greenspan chocolate chip cookie person who's your chocolate chip cookie recipe from that's good that's a good question um I do like the 36 hour one I do like Dory's um what other I'm trying to remember the names of all of these recipes I've kind of don't you have a go-to like what's your (laughs) go-to so honestly my go-to is I just make the nut the famous Nestle (laughs) oh that's fantastic I love that I I think that's so smart because the truth is I believe that as long as you're using good chocolate and you make it from scratch it's like they're always going to be good you know there's so many little nuances but it's all brown sugar eggs butter vanilla chocolate it's like the same thing in different proportions each time yeah and I think it's about also um making sure that you have the chocolate that you like so I really like using like the baker's discs so they like layer and Uh then I also put chopped uh chopped pecans in them do you use the discs whole or do you chop the discs it depends on what kind of mood I'm in I do really like them whole though because then you get these like striations of chocolate through Ah, the cookie that's very fun i've never tried that i'll try that next time around my favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe comes from the back in the day bakery cookbook by cheryl griffith day and it's very simple it's not like you know mind-blowing or anything but it's i just love it and i have it on i wrote it out by hand and put it on my refrigerator door because i make it all the time Um, okay so you grew up uh, loving cookbooks and then when did it transition though into like I mean, I know this food writing as a career is a weird career, so I'm sure there were a lot of stops along the way, but how did it go from that to what you do now? Yeah, so let's see. I um, started collecting and call, well, I bought my first cookbook, Drive Cooking, um, when I was about 16, and I remember being at Borders, um, because that's what you do when you're 16 in the late 90s. me too. (laughs) Totally, 100%. I was always at Borders. 100%. That's that's like totally my childhood. And in fact, I used to bring index cards 
and copy out recipes from the Barefoot Contessa cookbook. That was my criminal activity as a kid. That is so sweet, though. <laughs> I wrote down her recipe for herbal iced tea, and I was like Ooh. looking over my shoulder to make sure nobody saw what I was doing. And I ran out there, and I was like, I'm going to make Ina's herbal iced tea illegally. <laughs> okay, so you would go to Borders. And, what, and so you buy this Joy of Cooking. I have to say, I don't even own the Joy of Cooking, and I know that that's bad. I should own it, right? The new the new edition is like really, really good. They went through and totally retested everything and added tons and tons of recipes. Yes, absolutely. You should get it. I got it. So I realized when I was 16, like I was looking for a book to get. And, you know, I was kind of like not feeling any of the novels I was looking at or whatever. And I was like, well, I could buy a cookbook. And it was kind of like this weird, like, huh, I guess I could own a cookbook. Uh-huh. And then it was all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> but, so what, what else did you buy? Like, what were the early cookbooks that you bought? Do you remember? Let's see. I remember I bought one of the first ones was uh, Mimi Sheraton's German cookbook. My grandmother's from Germany. So I was trying to figure out like her main dishes that she used to make. And did you buy that? Like, was it new when you bought it? Because that came out. It feels like the, the ones I've seen are kind of old, right? Yeah, it's from the 60s. I brought a reprint of it, but I was into this idea of like these, you know, like definitive books about different cuisines. So like all the first ones I bought were like Julia Child, Marcella Hazan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like it, what's the cuisine? What's like the quintessential um, book on that topic? And for you, was it about collecting at that point or was it also about reading them and like consuming what they had to say and cooking from them? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit about both. Like, I definitely did cook from them, and it was about learning from it. But there was also this aspect of owning it. I don't know. That sounds like yeah, weird. Maybe I don't know. No, I totally get it. Because I, (laughs) Craig is always like, "Why don't you go to the library and get these books?" I'm like, "Because it's not the same. I want to own it. I want to like dirty it up and like cook from it." And I really liked the idea of having the shelf of books. Uh Like when I was a senior in college, um, I rented an apartment with one of my friends that was in this um, like 1905 small, like six apartment apartment building. We had all Mm -hmm. these built-in bookshelves and I claimed one as my cookbook shelf when we moved in, you know, before the school year started. And then my goal was that I was going to fill it up. Mm-hmm. by the end of the year. And I don't think I quite got there, but I got pretty close. So did you, so when you were buying like the, the these cuisines, but like you were buying pretty like classic cookbooks too. So did you have a, were you educated enough at that point to know what you were doing? Like, to, I mean, I, obviously you're educated, but you know what I mean? Like, did you know enough about cookbook collecting and what was valuable and what wasn't when you were doing this? Yes and no. So the books I sought out I think I was looking for specific gaps in my, you know, itty bitty small collection. But I also would go to just Goodwill or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever used bookstore. And I had certain things I was looking for. So one of the first things I was really interested in was international cook, early international cookbooks. So from like 50s, 60s, 70s, early modern, there have been cookbooks since, you know, eons and eons ago. But I was really interested in the idea of like how people were making accommodations for introducing these new ideas to different cultures and different foods and like what was available and what wasn't available and how they worked around that. So that was one of my early interests. Anything where like two cultures intersected that was uh, unique in my eyes. So like 
if there was a book that was from Australia that was about Mexican food or something, you know, like. Yeah, I saw, I went to Paris the first time and I um, discovered the Marais in Paris is like, I thought it was, I thought it was just going to be like the gay area, but it also turned out to be the Jewish area <laughs> where all like the Jewish stuff was. And then I found a book that was like um, French Jewish food. And I was like, this is the coolest cookbook. And it was by Marlena Spectre. I forgot how to say her name. If she's, if she's listening, she'll be offended because she follows me on Twitter. Um, but she, uh, yeah, I thought it was like truly like a treasure because I was like, oh my God, like what a cool combination. Like French, because like French people like are so sophisticated with their cooking and all the Jewish food I grew up with was always so like gefilte fish from a jar, like on a plate. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That intersectionality of cultures and cookbooks are pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. So anything like that. And then um, I was always looking for a cool design. So I was really into like the mid-century illustrated stuff. Wow. So you were really going for it pretty early on. And how many cook how many cookbooks, by the way, do you do you think you own right now? Um, I think I own probably about a thousand at any given time. I'm like constantly. Wow. That's so it. many. Because, you know, like if you look over my shoulder, people can't see because they're listening to this. But if you look over my shoulder, you'll, you'll see it in my kitchen. I have a cookbook shelf and Craig won't let me get a second one Ugh. because we, we have a small apartment. We don't have that much room. So therefore, I'm constantly curating my cookbooks and selling some of the ones that I'm getting rid of to like used bookstores. But like I'm so jealous Like my friend Ben Mims has like, like two enormous shelves of books. And it's like I could keep collecting and keep growing if I had more room for it. You have a house, so there, therefore you can have the thousand books. Yeah, I'm I'm really lucky. Uh, so I have, let's see, I have in the living room, which is where I'm sitting right now, I have one five foot like floor to ceiling shelf, five foot wide, and then two three foot wide shelves. And then my office also has three bookshelves. You're also very lucky because you're in a relationship with somebody who also happens to be a food world person. Is he still working in the food world? Raphael Brion? Is it Brion or Brian? Brion. Brion. Yeah. I know Raphael very well if you're listening to this because he used to design my website, which was a nightmare job because I had I used to bother him all the time. <laughs> but so but that's nice. So your 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 partner like supports this collection because he shares your enthusiasm, whereas mine is like he he enjoys the, to reap the benefits of the cookbooks, but he doesn't necessarily enjoy having so many cookbooks lying around. Yeah, I think you really have to be like all in on the having books everywhere. Yeah. Wait, so how do you organize your cookbooks? Um. Yeah, so let's see. The wall in front of me right now where I'm sitting is organized by region and then general general purpose at the bottom and then single subject. And then I have one floor to ceiling set that's all international cuisines organized. When I say by re so the first ones that are organized by region are restaurant books. Okay. So wherever the restaurant is. And then I have another set that's all of the international cuisines. And then I have cocktail books, baking books, current releases are in a separate section. And then uh, like food, like non-cookbooks about food histories and memoirs and stuff so which of the shelves is like the, the one you cherish the most like where, where do you gravitate to when you like feel like rifling through your collection like what's the one that holds the treasures that you you know really love more than all the others or, or do you love them all equally like your children well there's different there's different ways to answer <laughs> that so I do have a small shelf in my kitchen that's like the quick weeknight dinner books okay so if I'm looking for like a stir fry sauce or something um, or just like I have a bunch of asparagus, what am I going to do with it? 
So that's one answer to that question. I think that my most cherished shelves are, I have a pretty good collection of Texas books because I mm-hmm. live in Austin now and write a lot about Texan food. Um, and they're just fun, good books, a lot of them. I also have a similar section, although it's not as big because there just aren't as many cookbooks on it, um, about Wisconsin and Midwestern food. Mm-hmm. And I also, so just last year, Raphael, as you mentioned, my partner is from Belgium and we started collecting Belgian cookbooks, mm. which there's hardly anything in English. So we've been collecting in English, French and Dutch. Wow. So how do you preserve your books? I mean, do you do the thing where you put like plastic over it and really like you know, preserve them or do you just kind of throw them up there and hope for the best? I throw them up there and hope for the best. I try to keep them dusted. I also don't tend to cook out of them i Mm -hmm. photocopy a recipe because then i can take notes so i have binders that have the recipes that i've made that i want to make again with my notes so like okay so here's an example um amy Phelan has this book the new midwestern table and there's a recipe in it for smoky sauerkraut soup that's like sauerkraut roasted red peppers and salt i think it's kielbasa um it's great like winter hearty soup but I have it photocopied and I have a note that says, like in all caps at the top, you need to cheat and use canned roasted red peppers because otherwise it takes like trip. Um, Sorry, Amy. By the way, I, ha- <laughs> I, have to s- I have to say this podcast is going to be so dangerous for me because you know that when I hang up with you, I'm literally going to go by the new Midwestern table <laughs> as-, as soon as we hang up. Because I've- I know that's supposed to be a really good one. And it's one of those ones I totally forgot to buy when it came out. And that's my problem is like, so I guess here's a question for you. Like, what if you were to go to a used cookbook store and like rifle through books like what's your criteria like what, what like what would stop you from just buying everything like like what like what don't you buy i guess is a good starting point yeah um so gosh what don't i buy i mean i think that like i'm not buying anything new that's for sure Really? So you don't buy because you get sent the PDFs or because you're just not that interested? Because I get because I get sent the books. And if it's something that I'm really excited about, I've almost always already ordered it. So I don't at a used bookstore, I'm not buying newer books. I'm looking for Texas books, Wisconsin books, which we're not going to find here, Belgian books. Those are like really the three collections I'm constantly trying to grow. You mentioned you had a restaurant section. So like if you were to go into a, a used co- cookbook store and find like you know like I've one of my favorite cookbooks I own is the Lutess cookbook mm-hmm. from New York um, Andre Soltner's restaurant which I guess was from like the 70s and 80s and iconic restaurant so like I started collecting like the, I'm gonna like pull up my phone because I took pictures of my bookshelf oh nice because I wanted to tell you because we're, we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty now this is where it's gonna get really intense because we're gonna talk <laughs> about our most prized books but on my lower cookbook shelf I have all of my like old classic cookbooks so I have Lulu's Pro Provençal Table. I have Mastering the Art of French Cooking, The Cooking of Southwest France by Paula Wolfert, Jewish Cooking in America by Joe Nathan, Simple French Food by Richard Olney, The Lutes Cookbook. I have That's where I have my Marcella Hazan. That's where I have my Jacques Pepin Complete Techniques, my Chez Panisse books, etc. Oh, and I also have um, my my friend Jenny got me a book called The Gold and Fizdale Cookbook. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, it's amazing. It's like this gay couple that like both played the piano and, and like were gourmet chefs. And that's a crazy one. Oh, and I also have When French Women Cook by Madeline Kamen, which is a great one. So I love her. I, that's like my section that is like not my most prized 
but it's my most like impressive to me. Like it's like, okay, these are the ones that are like really special and historical. And so for you, I guess it's, it's, it's more like about identity for you. It feels like it's like you're Texan, but you're not from Texas, but I guess you feel connected to Texas. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Texas stuff is largely because I work so much in writing about Texas foodways um, uh-huh. and, and testing recipes for Texas foodways and stuff like that. So I really like that. They're also just like a lot of them are um, restaurants that I know and love because I live here. So that is also helpful. I was actually thinking about this while you were talking about like what are the most recent used books I bought. And I bought this Sunset Barbecue book from the 50s that is like 10 recipes in it, but it's mostly plans for building brick grills and smokers in your backyard. And so now I really want to my own <laughs> have you have you done that yet like have you smoked stuff in your backyard because I feel like in Texas it's like you, you're almost required to do that aren't you oh yeah for sure but I've done it like on uh you know like an oak like middling quality steel smoker not right. like a permanent brick <laughs> <laughs> fire pit in the backyard but yeah what is what else I love all those books you talked about though those are all like super super classics um I love Madeline ha- came in hmm? do you have a bunch of like weird ones like that's my favorite so my favorite cookbooks that I own are my weirdest ones and okay. I can tell you my favorite of my weirdest ones is the lifestyles of the rich and famous cookbook Ooh. by Robin Leach that is so hilarious and it's such a relic of the 80s and I found it at a used bookstore here in LA and it literally has like Bruce Jenner and, you know, pre, uh, you know, Caitlyn Jenner and um, Kris Jenner, like, like hosting with all the Kardashians. This is like in the 80s, like all the kids. It has like um, Joan Collins and it's just like hilarious. It's, it's one of my favorite cookbooks. That's so and funny. I, and what else do I, I have? Um, Craig Claiborne's Veal Cookery. Oh. I have The Artists and Writers Cookbook was a gift somebody gave me, which was like, have you seen that one? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a nice one. It's like Picasso's recipes. <laughs> and I have, oh, I have Uta Hagen, the actress. She like originated the role of um, Martha and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh-huh. She's like a, you know, grand dame of dame of the theater. Like I have her cookbook. Uh, so I, I collect a bunch of just like really idiosyncratic, strange cookbooks. But do you do that too? Yeah, there was this one time at a Goodwill here in Austin. We found this cookbook that I forget what it was called. It was called like Austin is for lovers or something like that. But it was this cookbook from the 70s with all of these local chefs in like with their like aphrodisiac recipes. But then they were also like in these like very sultry poses. And some of them are still chefs in Austin. Really? That's hilarious. Have you shown them some pictures? <laughs> no, we ended up, uh, I, I gave it to a friend for journalism purposes, but <laughs> oh my god. That was probably That's one really of the funny. funnest, weirdest cookbooks I've got. Yeah. So in terms of like the classic cookbooks that we were talking about, I mean, like, it feels like when you ask a food writer what their favorite cookbook is, it almost always seems like the answer is the Zuni Cafe cookbook. Like so many people, I used to answer that to you. Like people are, what's your favorite cookbook? Like the Zuni Cafe cookbook. But mm-hmm. then the truth is like, I never cook from it. Like I always like to read through it, but I never actually cook from it. Uh-huh. But I'm curious, like of those kinds of books, like do you have a favorite book? Yeah, I mean, I lo- well, I do love the Zuni Cafe cookbook. Although you're right, it's like not, it's not my go-to for recipe recipes. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it kind of like was the inspiration for my favorite like genre of recipes, which is just like go to the farmer's market and come home and 
you know, find a recipe for whatever you happen to get. So, yeah. um, like, I love Joshua McFadden's Six Seasons. I knew you were going to say that. The second we started this conversation, <laughs> this line of conversation, I was, I immediately thought of Six Seasons because I was like, that is my favorite book of that kind of ilk that is just approachable and doable and everything is delicious. Yeah. And I think that it also does a really good job. So one thing I'm always looking for with cookbooks is um, like, what does it offer beyond just individual recipes? So I think that that's a good book that kind of just really teaches you how he thinks about cooking, Mm -hmm. which also I think is one of the things that Zumi Cafe achieves um, really nicely is that if you do cook out of it regularly, suddenly you'll find yourself just like cooking like Judy Rogers or cooking like Joshua Mm -hmm. McFadden. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you start thinking like they do, like, you know, even just like the little descriptions of like how they like, you know, peek under the fish to see if it's golden. I mean, it's just like little tiny little things that's like, oh, I wouldn't think to do. I mean, maybe you would think to do that, but just like the tiniest little details. It's funny though, because Ina Garten, who was my starting point, my gateway, I got to say like her recipes, as much as they're very straightforward and like pretty standard, like they always work. That's Mm -hmm. pretty, that's pretty extraordinary. But yeah, back back to what you were saying. Though. So you have Josh McFadden. Who else? Who else do I like? I like Abra Barron's book. Roughage is also in a similar genre. I'm writing it down. I'm going to buy that. That's a great book. She has a new one too called Grist. That's like the sequel. Um, oh, which I've seen is, that in the stores. Okay. Yeah. And they look really nice next to each other on a shelf, which is also something that I love. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Like when the spines look really nice. Yeah. Um, what else do I love? I love Hugh Atchison's The Broad Fork, which came out a few years ago. Okay. Steven Satterfield's Root to Leap is great in that genre, too. He's a Southern chef, and so it's like a play on farm to table, but it's Root to Leap, like, use the whole vegetable. And these are the ones that you really use a lot? Yeah, I use them a lot. Um, just for, like, like, what is for dinner? I have chicken and broccoli. I'm going to flip through these books. Right. To just get a good idea for what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And is there one that's like, like the one that you've used the most over the course of your life? Like the one that you, you, like is the most constant for you, like through the years? My barefoot contessa for me is yeah. that kind of book. Although I have a confession to make and this is really horrible, but recently when I, when Craig was like, you got to get rid of your cookbooks. I got, I purged a <gasps> lot of my barefoot contested books. I, 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 because a, she puts all of her recipes online oh, yeah. and I don't cherish, like I cherish the first one and the second one, the parties and the first one, but it's like by the like sixth or seventh one, like cooking for Jeffrey. Like, it's like, I, I don't need, I don't really need to have this on my shelf. Yeah. That makes sense. I, when you started, started that sentence, I thought you were going to say you got rid of the first one. I was like, no, that one's all torn up though. Cause I used it so much, but I don't get rid of them. I mean, I donate them. Mm-hmm. So there, there's like a out of the closet here, which raises money for HIV and like they have, um, used books in their store. So I usually just bring it to them or I sell it to this used bookstore. Nice. So that's good. So, okay. What, what areas haven't we covered yet? I feel like we're just scratching the surface. Where, where, where should we go in this conversation? Yeah. I'm trying to think <laughs> what books I use all the time. Yeah. Well, I really use the Frankie Spentino book all the time. Um, really? I Yeah, I cooked out of that book forever before I, I lived in Brooklyn for, I don't know, two years. And so I hadn't even eaten at the restaurant. I was cooking out of that book all the time. I make the meatballs, the tomato sauce, and then I make the um, eggplant marinara, mm. um, which like takes four hours in the oven, but it's just ridiculously good. <laughs> um, is, it like the, is it basically like eggplant parmesan? Yeah, but you don't fry the slices, so that's why you yeah. have to cook it forever so that it, like, absorbs all the tomato sauce into the eggplant. But I remember the first time I went to the Frankie's restaurant, 
I just like ordered the stuff I always make and it tasted exactly the same and it just like blew the top of my mind off. Oh, I love that. That was very what, um, I have a good question for you. What about quote unquote canceled chefs <laughs> and their books? Because it was so funny on like Twitter during the whole Mario Batali thing or maybe it was on Instagram. I, I, I wrote that I was getting rid of my Mario Batali books because it's uh-huh. just too weird to like look at his picture on my bookshelf after knowing like all the horrible things he did. And I gave them away. And then someone from Eater was like, can I interview you about that? And that became like a big article about like, like you know, Amateur Gourmet gives away his Mario <laughs> Batali book. I mean, it's just like, okay, I don't want to like be known for this, but it really did bother me to like look at his face after hearing everything about him. But, but there's so many chefs now who've been like called out for problematic behavior. And so does that affect at all? like your how you think about your cookbook collection yes so I have a few opinions about that so first of all I haven't gotten rid of the books but I have taken them off the shelf and they're in my office in a box and there are a few my thinking about it is generally that like if the money's already been spent like that chef is not or whoever is not benefiting from it Mm -hmm. right that's a good point so like I keep them, but I don't display them. I don't really cook out of them, but I have them for reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's funny because the whole Alison Roman thing was so fascinating because there was that period where she was like the hottest thing in the world. And like I, I had gotten her cookbook and I was starting to cook from it. And then there was that period where she got canceled because of what she said about Chrissy Teigen. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, I, I, maybe I should put this away. And then there was the period where she kind of got uncanceled because Chrissy Teigen uh, sort of told someone to kill themselves. And it's like, oh, maybe I could put this back on my shelf. It's like insane. It's like, how do you keep track of like, you know, what's acceptable? Okay. Speaking of Alison Roman's book, this is my next question for you because I think this is like such a trend that it's almost exhausting, which I think you know what I'm going to say, but that that look of the Alice in oh. book, white cover, like picture of somebody. I mean, I feel like every new cookbook looks like that. And when did that start and how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it definitely started about the first Alice in Roman book, um, which I'm looking at right now. Yes, that that look was everywhere for a while. It was insane. It was like any... And it wasn't just in the U.S. It was in like Australian titles, U.K. titles. Like everyone was doing this white border with the photo of the food and then the text that goes beyond the white border. Uh huh. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think it's sort of slowing down. I haven't seen it as much recently. But yeah, it was it was just everywhere. I know. It's probably because she was so popular. I mean, I'm sure she sold more cookbooks than most people do, you know, like over a course of a lifetime. So and it is very striking. Did. It's a very yeah. like clean lines, like it draws your eye to it. I for sure. Um, I'm trying to think there were other books who did a similar thing and I'm not remembering any of them. So in terms of visuals in, in your collection, just purely on aesthetics, like what are the books that you love the most? <laughs> I love I love any books that have color that's not in the photography. Like I love just like a colorful illustration or like design elements. Um, let's see. What do I love? I love Nick Sharma's The Flavor Occasion has some mm-hmm. very, very cool design elements that are also um, educational. Like you learn things about what he's talking about from them. Yeah. That's a good newer book like I said I really love the like old school mid-century illustrated stuff like what's some examples of that because you know I do I also love mid-century 
like furniture and so somebody as well get some cookbooks too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like James Beard's books have a lot of it, like Beard yeah. on Pasta, Beard on Bread. Um, those have that style, like the old Betty Crocker stuff, old community cookbooks, like often mm-hmm. just have like random clip art in corners of them. What else do sunset, I Sunset, like? like the sunset book that you got? Like, is that sort of from that era? Yes. Wait, it's like right here. I'm going to show it oh to my you gosh. if it's not too You guys can see her. She's getting up and she's walking to her bookshelf. I kind of feel like you should turn the camera around just so I could look at your collection. Oh, my God. <laughs> you should see this cookbook spilling all over. Actually, it's kind of neat. It doesn't look that bad. And you have it organized. <laughs> you actually have it aesthetically, like, organized in a cool way where some are stacked vertically and some are most are put horizontally and you didn't do that thing where it's by color which I don't really like no I would never be able to find anything (laughs) yeah but this is the sunset book it's got like this wood grain cover oh I love it I love that but like actually like it actually feels wood grain and then it's got all these little cutie chef guys I love that illustration you guys can't see it but it's um if people want to look it up how would they look it up the sunset yeah it's called the sunset barbecue book it's uh let's see who wrote this i don't know i can also send you take a photo and send it you know what i love actually i have them behind me i'm not going to pull it up but i have the some of the time life books oh yes yes those Those are are amazing amazing. and i I have i love the like there's like a the french one was like classic i don't know there's like beans there's cheese like those books are amazing and they were written by all those like icons of the era yeah well richard only worked on the um it's not the foods of the world. It's like the sequel, the single subject ones you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The French so, one? No, they're, well, they're all the way on the other side of the house. Yeah, there's, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> there's um, the foods of the world series. And then after that, there was Time Life did, um, I forget what it's called, the art of cooking or something. But it was like, instead of each volume being a different country, it's like a different type of food. So there's like vegetables, poultry, yes. eggs. I got whatever. it. I have them. I have yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Next question. Why are British versions of books better than the American version of books? Like Otto Lenghi's books, like always the covers, the British covers look so much cooler than the American covers. And same with Nigel Slater's books. And like, I just feel like there's there's a weird aesthetic shift. And why does that happen? I don't know. I think there might be a belief that like Americans are more likely to buy books with either a famous person on the cover or a shot of food photography. But you're right. Like the UK covers are often these like really striking graphic illustrated covers. Yeah. And it really sucks that we don't have those because they're, I think they're really cool. Like, Well, some of my favorite books, I'm going to go back to my pictures again. Sorry, but we have to get into some of the nitty gritty. But um, on my top bookshelf, I, I went to um, Omnivore Books in mm-hmm. San Francisco, which I love. And I bought a book called The Trifle Bull and Other Tales, which is like a British cookbook that is all about like like gear that you have in your kitchen so it's organized by gear so it's like you know here's recipes for like a food processor here's recipes for like a hand blender you know so that's really fun and I have um my favorite one of that genre oh where is it well also for Christmas this year Craig got me the Nigel Slater Christmas Chronicles oh nice which those are really cool and then I also have oh I got the Towpath cookbook. Do you know about that one? No. Uh, Louisa Weiss wrote about it. Uh, I'm, gi- I'm giving you a run for your money, by the way. You I'm really very impressed are. With myself. Yeah. 
Okay, Towpath is a restaurant in London, and Louisa Weiss on her Wednesday Chef blog wrote a recipe from it, and it's like really quirky and really weird, and I love that one. And but the one that I'm trying to find. I don't know where it is. Maybe it's on the second shelf. Is um, Tasman Day Lewis? Yeah, supper mm. for song, and that's um, Daniel Day Lewis's sister, who's a poet, has a cookbook, and it's a British cookbook, and it's so weird and obscure, and I love it. Yeah, I think that I, I, I'm familiar with that book. I think that's a great book. Um, I think that beyond just the illustrated covers and the graphic covers that they do in the UK, I think that there's like maybe a little bit more license for people to be mm, poetic in how they write recipes and yes. literary and just kind of, I don't know, put more emotion in them too. Yeah, well, Ni- Nigella Lawson, I mean, she's so, you know, her language about food is just so luscious and rich and personal and funny and unique. Um, so I totally agree with that. And I think, I think the thing is like with American cookbooks too, it's like, I think there's less patience for that in America. Like America's like, let's get to the point. Like, you know, I, I think it has to do with capitalism. Mm. People are like working their asses off and it's like mm-hmm. nine to six, nine to seven jobs. And it's like they get home and it's like, I don't want to read Nigella Lawson Wax poetical about anchovies. I just want to like make dinner. Yeah, no, I think that that's probably right. I hope that that's changing. Maybe. I don't know. I think that you still like American cookbooks still tend to be like very rigid in recipe format and like, yeah. Yeah, I wish we could do more of a poetry of American recipes. I think that'd be great. I'm kind of like, who's doing <laughs> stuff like that? <laughs> um, okay, so in terms of the restaurant, so you talked about collecting like restaurant cookbooks. Um, and I told you I had the Lutess one. Like, what mm-hmm. are your most cherished restaurant cookbooks? Oh, gosh, my most cherished restaurant cookbooks. Well, I like the Big Fat Duck cookbook from way back in the day because that was the first cookbook I ever reviewed. And it's just really? like, yeah, it's just this ludicrously large, expensive, fancy UK cookbook. I had it and I got rid of it because I never used it, but I loved looking through it. And that was one when, like, if I, if I had more space, I would have kept it. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It's six, like four inches off my shelf. Yeah, it's enormous, but it really is fun. I mean, he has he has amazing cookbooks, Heston Blumenthal. He mm-hmm. also has that like historical. Doesn't he have one like it's like 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 we're cooking through history or re- periods of history? Yeah, it's like different eras of British cookery. Yeah, well, I mean that's a whole that's a whole genre I think of cookbook is like ambitious chef cookbook where it's like the Alinea cookbook or like any Grant Ackett's cookbook where it's like I am never going to make anything from this book or 11 Madison Park it's like uh-huh. that's purely like a, like a souvenir I have the El Bui cookbook mm. or Ibui cookbook because we, we luckily got to go there uh, <sighs> right before it ended and so I got a souvenir cookbook when I left and that is very that's like a cherished you know thing for me but but in terms of cooking from it no way yeah, no, absolutely not. I have a bunch of cookbooks like that. And I think it's really interesting to, first of all, the photography is always gorgeous. Production quality yeah. is always gorgeous. Um, and I just really enjoy like reading the story of a restaurant and um, like the thought that goes into the food. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That was sort of like early in my career. I, re- I reviewed cookbooks for Eater. And so like we could only cover restaurant books because we were all, well, they do home cooking stuff now. But um, we were at the time, it was like, if it's not about restaurants, we don't write about it. Right. That, that's gone away for <laughs> quite a bit now. They write about everything. Yeah. They literally wrote about like food that looks like poop recently. Oh, gosh, I missed that. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so like these restaurant cookbooks really like 
I was just constantly making the case for them because people were constantly yeah. like, well, if I can't cook about it, why does it exist? And so oh, that's um, funny. So you made the, you argued for them. Mm-hmm. And what, what was the gist of the argument that it's like a, like art, like it's just to look at it and get inspired? Yeah, I think. And a little bit what you were saying, like it's a souvenir. It's like yeah. you had this really good experience at a restaurant and you can read about it later and find out like what went into it. Mm-hmm. I think it's important as a record. I also think that cookbooks aren't just for amateur chefs, you know, like they're mm-hmm. chefs by cookbooks, chefs read cookbooks. And especially right. before Instagram or whatever, that was like one of the only ways you could find out what was going on on the other side of the planet. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of reasons restaurant cookbooks are important, you know, as a, just a record of what happened at a place. I just bought a book that's related to a restaurant that I'm I just tried to return, but they wouldn't let me return it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what it is because you mentioned that your dad's into this, but I wanted to get into it and I couldn't. So I bought the Noma Book of Fermentation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's actually a beauty. It's a gorgeous book. It's Trust me, it's beautiful. But I was like flipping through it. And I was like, I am never, ever going to make anything from this book. I literally will never make anything from this book. I mean, just to like vacuum seal like blueberries with salt for like it's like I'm not gonna do that I know I mean I probably should, but on the flip side as I'm saying this to you and you're nodding I'm realizing that I would probably learn a lot if I did make the effort to cook from it because I have not really fermented anything at home yeah well I mean I think that's a pretty like advanced place to start the Noma guide to fermentation um which okay. I can also see right now but yeah, I think like that, you know, that's that's one of those books that I would say is for chefs and, you know, like advanced level. What's an easier um, fermentation book? Sandor Katz books are great. Sandor Katz, K-A-T-Z. Okay, I'm going to write that down. He has a bunch of fermentation books and some of them are going to be like way more advanced, but they're definitely easy places to start. Mm-hmm. This is not a cookbook, but one of my favorite places to look for fermentation recipes is um, like any agricultural university often will have a guide to fermenting, canning, pickling, all of that stuff oh, wow. online. So I know like Texas A&M does. I know um, other places, Michigan, like these big, like, you know. Uh, universities that are always really good. So you go to their websites and you find like recipes and stuff and cook from there. That's so cool. I would never have thought of that. It's not even like recipes. It's like, if I have this many tomatoes, how much acid do I have to add and how much salt do I have? They're like charts and stuff. Did you follow the recent controversy on Bon Appetit uh, (laughs) with Brad Leone? Is that his name? Uh, Made a video where like he made he like was making pastrami or something and basically uh-huh. gave the wrong proportions and people like in the comments are like this will kill you if you do it this way and he, he had to apologize uh, it's, kind yeah. of sc- it's kind of scary it's like oh my god that's why i i think the noma fermentation book is like uh, i don't know if i want to like fill a vat with like kelp or whatever and then like yeah. hope i don't die when i, I eat it i think start <laughs> with like fermented pickles or like yeah, sauerkraut yeah, or something easy. Well, it's funny. <laughs> if you look behind me, I don't know if you could see it. You actually, you can't see it. Well, maybe you can. I'm making um, Vin Dorange, which is like... Oh, um, I can't see it. Yeah, it's like, you know, rosé, vodka, and then a ton of citrus that you slice up and then put in a vanilla bean in there with some sugar and you just leave it for six weeks. So that's pretty simple. I don't think I'm going to die from that. No, I don't think. Not. I think that you might get a little tipsy off of that though. Yeah, and the alcohol <laughs> will help. So what, 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 I guess a good question for you would be like, what bores you in a cookbook? When you get a new cookbook sent to you or you're starting to flip through a new cookbook, like what do you find really boring at this point having encountered so many over the years? 
Yeah, I think that like these cookbooks that come out, especially that are written by celebrities that I mean, there are some good celebrity cookbooks. But, Such as like, what what are your favorite celebrity cookbooks? Well, OK, was so what I was going to say is that like people who don't have anything to say and like you mentioned Chrissy Teigen earlier and like whatever you want to think about Chrissy Teigen, her books definitely have a point of view on and something to say about food. Uh-huh. Whereas like other cookbooks come out and it's like, I don't know why you wrote this is just like the same recipe for spaghetti sauce everyone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is, you know, so like. And yet they're going to sell more copies than I'll ever sell in my whole yeah, life. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I do like Chrissy Teigen's cookbooks. I reviewed the first one or the second one. I think that's actually one of the only celebrity cookbooks I own. Well, what about like format? Like I know that you've written books. Like to me, when I open a cookbook and it's like your pantry, your mm-hmm. um, equipment, I mean, unless it's like from a cuisine that I'm unfamiliar with, like Eric Kim's new book, Korean American, like has all this stuff. It's like I li- some of the things I'd never even heard of before. So I learned a lot reading it. But if I open like a book from like, you know, somebody who's well known, uh, like even if Ina Garten writes another book and does that, it's like, OK, I know you use really good vanilla. I know it's like so I mean, that's that's where I get a little bored. On the flip side, like what do you think about books that are full of autobiography like like where it's like you know that classic thing of like skip the skip to recipe it's like do you think it's sometimes there's too much writing in cookbooks or you think that's never there's never enough huh um I think it really depends on what they're saying and how they're saying it you know um I think that they're long head notes come and go and I think that I would rather have a lot of background information on the recipe than necessarily on the author but there are always exceptions to that and i think that there you are... sound like my agent <laughs> <laughs> she was like nobody cares about your little story about your birthday party that nobody showed up to it's like tell us how to make the yellow cake with chocolate frosting you know, right like... <laughs> yeah like but what if you want to put chocolate chips in it <laughs> yes exactly yeah well that's funny i mean like the kevin bloodsoe cookbook is a great example of one where i loved reading it because he had such a fascinating story of like growing up in compton and and going spending the summers in texas and mm-hmm. like, learning from his grandmother so it's like it, it only enriches the experience of reading it whereas others where it's like oh you know i don't need to read about you know your vacation to france with your you know rich husband and you know or rich wife or you know just some of them are boring in that way. Well, and I think also that like it helps when there's a narrative arc to the personal anecdotes is it, like mm-hmm. if it's just like, I don't know, just like piecing together random things that's less interesting to me than when it's like the full story, like you were saying about the Blood yeah. book. Well, I do think context changes how you feel about a recipe. It's like, you know, I, I was just reading like Dory Greenspan wrote a whole thing. I forget what it was about. about it was, maybe it was about... um like cooking for her granddaughter or something, you know, it's just like, and just like reading it in that context or no, it was about her son's birthday and then she makes him a cake every year. And like, it was about like the cake that she made for him this year. And it's like, it, it absolutely changes how I feel reading that recipe to have it in that context than to just read a, a recipe for a cake. So I think they can be really important. Yeah. And I think that like Julia Tertian is an example of someone who does that really well. Like she's constantly explaining like how I make this what role it plays in my life, you know, like this is for my birthday, this is for my family's tradition of XYZ or whatever. And it's it's not incidental to the recipe, but it's, yeah, exactly what you're saying is like when you know that like, oh, this is a celebratory meal, this is what Dory or Julia or whoever uses to celebrate, then I don't know, it feels a little bit more celebratory when you do it too, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, I have a really challenging question for you. 
I think because I think I have an answer to this. And I'm curious to hear if you'll have an answer. What do you think is the worst cookbook of all time? There are some real stinkers out there. Yeah. I'm not going to say what I think. I want to know if you come up with one before I tell you what I think. What I, what I have to say is very controversial, but I think you'll agree. Okay. I don't know. I've just like, I've, I've reviewed cookbooks for so long that I've run into rescues that just don't work so often that mm-hmm. it's like. You've been very diplomatic so far. You haven't called anyone out. I, I'm the one like spilling the tea over here, with, you know, all my <laughs> Alison Roman and uh, buying a garden. The other problem is that I get rid of the bad books. Like I don't keep them. So I'm sitting right. here like in front of this wall of cookbooks and I'm like, what are the bad books? These are all the good books. What are books I gave bad reviews to? I gave a bad review to Dean Fearing's The Texas, what is it called? That's the Texas Food Bible. Problem with that book was that um, it was just chock full of sub recipes and all the sub recipes made like two quarts of spice rub and then you needed two tablespoons for your recipe. And it was just like a mess that way it's, sometimes that happens like you'll read a book I won't I won't say this chef's name but I just bought her book very because I love her restaurant and it's just it's full of cross references it's like if you want to make this recipe like turn to page 40 but then like you go turn to page 40 and it's like well make sure you go to page 80 and learn and it's like this is insane like I don't want to click like this so yeah. I know what you mean yeah that can be tricky um what other books have I given batteries to but you, in terms of like the worst of all, okay, here's what I'm going to say. And this could be shocking. Maybe not. Is the ghetto gastro book. I'm unfamiliar with that book. I'm, I think it's called ghetto. It was like a blog and then it became a book, but it was, it was like basically ghetto speak, quote unquote. And it turned out that it was written by white people. Oh, wow, wow, wow. I know invoking what you're the, Yeah, yeah. And it's like that. And I only bring that up because I was at a used bookstore recently and I saw that and I was like, how does this exist? Like, how did two white people go into like a publisher and say, um, we want to write a book like <laughs> without revealing their identities too. I think, I, I, I don't think they put their names on it, but I don't know. Bug That's Kitchen. Bug Kitchen. Bug Kitchen. What's Ghetto Gastro? Did I tell you myself? Oh no. That's oh, why I was I like, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, Bug Kitchen. Yeah. That was a whole thing. I those books sold like crazy too. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Ghetto Gastro is not that at all. What is Ghetto Gastro? It's somebody's Instagram. I'm so sorry to Ghetto Gastro. It's a New York-based collective of chefs and food enthusiasts and deep ties to the Bronx that was formed in 2012. Well, I'm a huge fan of Ghetto Gastro, but I'm calling out Thug Kitchen. It's a good thing nobody listens to this or I'd probably be canceled by now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Thug Kitchen was a, was a big old mess and they changed their name. Now there's something else. And yeah, I don't know. Look how many good ratings it has. It has a 4.6 with 14,000 reviews on Amazon. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good book. I mean, I don't, it's still a problem. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it is a problem. That's, that's the thing is I was just shocked by it. I guess I, yeah. I guess I was shocked by it. Um, well, as a final thought, is there anything in this first part of the podcast? Cause we're going to go into ten, some 10 specific questions for the bonus podcast, but anything we didn't cover that you wanted to throw in there at the end? No, I think that's, that about covers it. I mean, I could talk for two more hours, but. Yeah, well, I have very good questions. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to know, like, for example, one of the questions, just a heads up, is going to be if your house was on fire and you could only save three cookbooks, which three would you save? So get ready for that one. And if you want to hear the answer to that question, uh, you guys will have to tune into the bonus podcast. But Paula, thank you so much for uh, talking about cookbooks. This flew by. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. All right, stick around and we'll have you on bonus 10 questions. 
All right, everyone, that's it for this week's episode. Again, if you haven't watched my YouTube show, check out uh, The Amateur Gourmet Show on YouTube. And if you don't subscribe to my newsletter, be sure to subscribe, amateurgourmet.substack.com. All right, I'll see you back here next week. Take care.